Thanks for tuning in. We're Ace Comicals. I have with me my co-host Rahul Jani and Leon Everett. I'm Brent Driver. Let's get started. Snow outside, a roaring fire, a glass of whiskey, and an ugly sweater. Welcome to a very Ace Comicals Christmas. With us, your hosts for this evening of cheer, peace, and good comics to all, Rahul, Leon, and of course me, Greg. Season's greetings with some seasonal comics. Welcome to the Ace Comicals Christmas special. I have both of my co-hosts, Rahul and Leon, with me today. Happy holidays, Greg. Hello, dudes. So today is a special episode. Instead of us doing the usual fortnightly roundup of newish comics that we've been reading, um, we'll instead be talking about a few Christmas-themed picks that we've read and sort of picked out from across the years. Some of it's newer, some of it's older. Um, and we're going to end on the headline act, which is our favourite collectively, the 1995 Batman Adventures holiday special. So guys, what have we got planned over Christmas this year? Uh, well, so I've, um, I'm going to Italy for Christmas. So it's the first time I've been, I've been away from home for Christmas ever in my life. Actually, no, sorry. That's the first time since I was a kid. I used to go to India a couple of times over the December, January period. And, um, in the last few years, my parents have been going to India every December. So they've not been around for Christmas. And normally I end up having Christmas either at my sister's or at a friend's house because, you know, my parents aren't around for it. And my girlfriend goes back home to Italy. And so this is the first time I'm visiting her family at Christmas. Normally I go Easter. So that should be exciting. Might be a bit scary. I have no idea what to buy her family for Christmas. If you guys have any ideas, then let me know. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what I've got on my plate. That's That's always a difficult one, isn't it? Buying... Christmas presents for sort of in-laws type thing. It's like <laughs> minefield. Yeah. Well, I I normally buy her dad whiskey from Duty Free, and he digs it. And in the past, I brought her brother comics, and he's dug that. But like, I'm running out of ideas. And her mum is difficult to get for. Like, I buy her scarves and stuff, but like, how many scarves can you get a lady? So, <laughs> yeah, suggestions are welcome. Yeah, this year I'm spending Christmas in Hungary with Sophie's parents. We're quite lucky in the fact that the way we do sort of Christmas shopping for parents is I buy something that I know my mum will want and then it's from both of us and then vice versa. So, yeah, it seems like a good way to avoid uh, yeah. mistakes, I yeah. guess. That's, that's, that's the way we do it. We buy like one thing between us and sign it from both of us and I'll do the shopping for my parents because I know what they want or what they like and Sophie will uh, pick things that she knows her mother, mother and father want because obviously she knows them better than me. And uh, then we just sign from both of us. It's the way we usually go about this. So, yeah. No, that's too much sharing the blame. Like, yeah. if I mess up a person, I'm just... <laughs> and Anna, Anna would leave you on your own, would she? <laughs> yeah, she would throw me to the wolves. <laughs> <laughs> Leon, what's your plans this year? Yeah, nothing special this year. Unlike you, Jet Setters, I'm not going abroad. But uh, what I am doing is spending Christmas in London with my family, which is um, a bit different now because I was living in Bristol for the last sort of four years. So I'd always travel home over the Christmas period and it was traveling home to get uh, back to London for Christmas is always hellish because like work would always 
we'd be working all the way up to like Christmas Eve a lot of the time and traveling on Christmas Eve is horrible. But uh, this time it's completely flipped because I'm in London now. So it's a lot less stress. But then what I'm doing after Christmas is going to Bristol um, and spending some time with some friends uh, up to New Year before I come back. That sounds cool. The thing about traveling home for Christmas is that it's a nightmare doing the traveling and it's, you know, it's loads of stress having to grab all your stuff and like bringing presents and things as well is always a nightmare. But at least when you get home, you get looked after because everything's set up and nobody expects you to have, like if you're arriving on Christmas Eve, then all the food will be ready and all the, you know, the decorations will be done. But if you're living at home, then do you have to deal with all that stuff now? Or is that, have you thought about that? Yeah, have you got to help out? (laughs) It's what I'm getting at, yeah. Um, To a degree, but, I mean, that's quite a world-old machine. So my input just ends up being, uh, like, extra stuff and helping out with some uh, Christmassy stuff that might have got overlooked. So, yeah, I mean, it's working out pretty well. The thing I'm looking forward to most after the food and after people opening the presents I got them is all the local multiplayer stuff because I've got a decent amount of siblings. So it's always good we can come together and then spend hours and hours uh, uh, like facing each other off at like uh, beat-em-ups and like silly sports games and stuff and like the setup is is pretty hard for this year because i've got uh snes mini already i've got a lot of um sort of steam party games and such and we've got a couple couple newer beat-em-ups on on the go so it, it's going to be it's going to be fun and tense a lot a lot of uh a lot of shit talking and uh, a lot of banter so <laughs> looking forward to it cool that sounds great yeah, that's that's pre-Christmas for me because what I do, um, I've got like um, a couple of guys that I've known since I was I, time immemorial. Um, we always do, we've like for every year, we've always done this one thing where we get together on like Christmas Eve or before Christmas Eve if we can't make Christmas Eve and we exchange gifts and play video games and we usually play Mario Party. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that's risky. <laughs> Oh yeah, we know we know exactly what we're doing to ourselves. But yeah, we usually we've got like all between us, we've got all the Mario Party games. So we usually just pick one and pick the console like N sixty four or whatever and play Mario Party. And we do like a fifty turn game or something, and it lasts all night. Um, and at the moment, um, Jammy is the reigning champion. Uh, my my friend Jammy, he's like the reigning champion. He's won like the past two or three years in a row or something silly like that. So. Got to knock him off his, knock him off his pedestal. Yeah, he needs to be taken down. <laughs> anyway, speaking of things getting taken down, way, way down, um, into uh, the depths of hell. Uh, we're gonna open with the Hellboy Christmas Special from 1997. So this is like a, an anthology type deal with a collection of Christmas stories. We start it with like a, a tale with a horror edge, which is the f- the Hellboy story. In my eyes, this is the best one. It's got everything. It's you know, touching, a little bit sad, a little bit happy, action packed, um, and it basically deals with Hellboy having been asked to help somebody on their deathbed to find their missing daughter, who went missing in a graveyard 
which we learn isn't just a graveyard in the grounds of this ancient old house that her family had moved into in England. And um, we find out that she's actually been betrothed to a demon prince. But the demon prince has sort of cast a kind of spell, a glamour of sorts, to make everything look like a fairy tale, you know? Like, when she's there, it's like an imaginary world for her, but he's just keeping her prisoner. And because of that as well, this is why there's like a curse on the house and on her family. So you two read this as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I read this one from the Christmas special. I think it's called A Christmas Underground. Um, but I didn't read the other two. Yeah. Um, so what did you think of this one then, Ray? I really like this. Um, I liked how how little there is explained. And it's almost like a puzzle that you have to, you have to figure out the narrative for yourself a little bit. Like I did have to read it a couple of times to get the full gist of what was happening and like you said is it's kind of fairy tale-ish um and like i really enjoyed like some of the the turns in it so there's uh the dying woman gives hellboy an item to pass on to her uh to her daughter and when he does finally pass it over there's like this big explosion this change that happens in the glamour and I just, I love the way that it transforms from one to the other. Like he breaks the spell by giving her the item because it is sort of like jogs her memory kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, it's great the way it's like it splashes outwards and there's this explosion of colour from it. Yeah. And I, I like the, the, um, the whole setup of it when he's in the bedroom with the, the mm. dying mother and she thinks he's, she thinks he's Saint Nick. Oh, of course. Yeah. That's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause he's up there on Christmas Eve and, uh, as he's leaving the room, his the mother's kind of like oh i knew it was you sort of thing you're santa claus and you sort of get a panel with hellboy and then the same panel but hellboy wearing santa Claus kind of thing and santa kind of like santa. a dark elfish santa not like the you know the coca-cola santa that yeah we, it's, that we know. it's a more traditional santa but so, it's father christmas isn't it yeah yeah well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> santa claus yeah father christmas saint nick santa claus all the same guy um and you get um i, I like that this whole whole idea that it, it kind of like the the demon prince had sort of played on her because they that you get the idea that she's quite and she was quite imaginative and quite a um how do they describe her in the book there's a word they use like eccentric was it yeah or, ex- uh... eccentric or something like that and and, and because of the way she is he sort of like feeds on that and and that's how he manages to coax her into um his realm kind of thing yeah because there's a a panel where the uh priest is like she was the favorite an artistic Mm. child happy but too much imagination for this place it made her strange yeah it made her strange yeah and um there's a point when hellboy gets down there and because she's under the spell um she uh she uses a couple of different names to call him um yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah that's it yeah lancelot or maybe de bergerac toppled from the moon there we go because she she's obviously these she's like all these fictional characters that she's read about and everything are being brought to life down here and and she's been trapped kept, in her fantasy yeah she's been kept down there trapped in a fantasy but she's just feeding this demon because he while she's down there i think the demon's feeding off her family is the idea we get mm. but obviously hellboy saves the day he brings her back up to the world and breaks the spell and the tale ends yeah i I, this is i mean this book won an eisner i'm not sure on the specifics of what the eisner was won for as in like which story within the anthology and everything else and 
but but it did it it won an eyes and i'm thinking it might have been this story you know this hellboy tale the next couple of stories in this book i mean you've got like some written word stuff as well which is um it's one of the uh one of the writers is he's kind of basically he was given a blank page and told to write something for the book but he um he couldn't think of anything to write so he's written like a whole story about his fear of having nothing to write and in the end, he ends up with something to write because of all these strange coincidences surrounding Charles Dickens. And that comes under a... That's, that one's called A Strange Story. And that's the guy who wrote the third story in the book. That's um, Gary Gianni. You've also got a Christmas-themed pin-up in there, which is like a really good bit of art by Jeff Darrow. And there's like a little sort of twisted satirical take on traditional Christmas songs by two of the characters that appear in a story in this book called Toy Box. Now... This one is really strange. It's kind of like a um, night- Nightmare Before Christmas type mood about it. It involves giant spiders and spider larvae feeding on dead bodies on Christmas Eve. And I really love the way the characters play off each other in this story. Um, and it's like the two, sto- the two other stories in this book next to, next to the Hellboy tale are both stories that are like lesser known obscure comic characters like create your own stuff but like things that have only seen print twice in their entire span entire lifespan which i i found quite interesting because i'd never heard of them before and i was like what's this toy box thing and i went looking for stuff about it and there's very little out there um the same for corpus monstrum there's not an awful lot of corpus monstrum that's been published or an awful lot of toy box so um that was like a learning point for me, basically, from this book. And I quite enjoyed both of the stories. The Corpus Monstrous, Monstrum one being a kind of like Christmas exorcism type deal where he goes to kind of lift a curse, some family curse off a um, like a rich lord living in a house on his own. He's like the last of his line and it's because of this curse on his family. So they go and try and lift it. And that one has this really cool sort of like old school etching art style that you would find in like old... 18th century books i guess but yeah no that the uh, hellboy christmas special overall i thought was really good no, but i think the best story is the hellboy one i think i think everything else is a little bit weak i think toy box is the toy box one although it's good and like the the optimism of the little girl doll type character versus the pessimism of the rat and everything else it's not really I don't know, it doesn't grip me as much as the Hellboy one does. I don't know what you two thought. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I, I had the uh, same reaction reading them. Um, they're, they're interesting extras, but I don't know, they feel superfluous. Um, and the the Hellboy story um, itself is quite um, poetic. It's like It's like a really good type of like Christmas anthology story where it's like a whole complete story. Um, and it, it does some really interesting th- things with, um, theme, um, and, uh, tone. And, uh, it's, it has the classic Magnola artwork of like heavy, heavy shadows and like sort of, uh, not less detailed, but more sort of stylized, uh, artwork and sort of like, uh, quick, quick paced um, mm. action that doesn't really isn't the centre of attention. Um, so yeah, I, I would agree that the Christmas or well, the Hellboy focused Christmas story is is the strongest um, of the bunch. Um, and oh yeah, and just to confirm, uh, the book won two Eisners in ninety eight. 
Okay. It won um, Best Writer Slash Artist Drama for Mike Mignola. And that, that's an award that includes a lot of the things that he'd worked on that year. And this is included as one of them. Yeah. Um, and then it also won Best Anthology where uh, Scott Alley, who is the editor, won that. So it won two. There we go. Um, yeah, just to kind of elaborate a little bit, Toy Box, um, the characters, the rat is Ernie and the little doll type character is uh, Suda. Um, and um, giant spider, Santa inside a giant spider. Yeah, I don't want to go any more into that, but it's a bit weird. Um, but it is it's very Nightmare Before Christmas. If that's your thing, then yeah, you'll enjoy that one. But I, for me, it was a little bit... That one was a little bit lost on me. Um, but it did, just a, another bit of trivia with that as well. This is the um, this is the Sam, this is the same place that Sam and Max came from. So Steve, Steve Purcell, yeah, um, and basically this takes the Sam and Max formula, but then like kind of like dials it up a notch, I guess, because Sam and Max has got like the kind of funny but also a little bit weird at times thing going on, hasn't it? Um, and this is like, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. So on from there, um, sort of 20 years on from there, we've got another Hellboy winter special, um, that I read and I think you guys read as well. Did indeed, yeah. Yeah, this is, this is, as is, as is in the name, more of a winter special than a Christmas special and it incorporates elements of different winter celebrations kind of brings it all together like the first story in the book which is my favorite one is actually more of like a winter solstice story type deal than uh i'd say a christmas story and um with that one you've got um it's to do with like a a, an irish uh an old irish or, or celtic um deity i guess who after Halloween or Samhain would take over and rule until spring uh, and she would bring the winter um, which um, I'm going to probably butcher the pronunciation here but Beltine or Beltine Kalich it's it's a really good story uh, about like a an, an object that you could use to kind of I don't know if you use it to control her I, I, I can't control or summon maybe yeah yeah control or summon yeah this uh, this sort of like queen of the winter, I guess, it is to do with these two kind of I don't know. Do you, do you want to call them monster hunters or I know what we call these people? <laughs> Certainly, the guy is a is an explorer of some sort, Edward Grey. Yeah. Okay. So no, Beltine is the uh, it's like the May Day festival. So I've got uh, yeah, Beltine is when her rule would end. Her name, the name of the deity was Kaliich, I think. Yeah. I mean, and, the and, thing being that the, yeah. the bracelets like this object of mystery that they they find in yeah like i like the way this one starts because it's them like plowing through the yeah the snow like this this unprecedented um snow at the end of winter in cornwall i think it's set in like 1891 and um they're, they're commenting on how it's never normally this bad like it's it, yeah the storms are never never this this harsh and then they turn a corner with their exploring and they find a a ship run aground yeah that's not just covered in snow but like frozen solid and it all centers around this item of mystery, which it it's left kind of unclear, but it's it basically is yeah um, the the reason for this unprecedented but storm. It, it feeds into other um, 
it fe- it feeds into other myths and stories as well. Mm. Like uh, there's a famous saint who apparently used it to bring snow to sort of like seal a deal on some yeah, land. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Mm. Saint Bega in the Middle Ages. I just love the way that it links all these different tales together that all these sort of stories surrounding the winter solstice and everything else uh, surrounding winter, they managed to, they, they've managed to sort of like link it all together and it's to do with this bracelet. Um, and in the end, they sort of like, they find the bracelet, they take it for safekeeping and, and uh, once they find it, the storm lifts basically. So they were out looking for the um, the cause of the storm and they found it and then once he had the bracelet, he, he has it for safekeeping with what looks like a, a sort of a menagerie of magical items that he's got mm. powerful items which I, I i really like that story anyway that one was my favorite one my second favorite one um is the last one in the book um but mm. uh, i thought we'll come to that in a moment because before that we've got god rest ye merry which is members of the bprd and hellboy just you know kind of walk in the street they've been called out to a, a santa gone rogue i guess um <laughs> he's possessed he's got this amulet around his neck and there's like some evil spirit inside him so hellboy squares off with santa in the middle of the street and there's this like this punch up and uh, a mysterious figure sort of appears and tells them that it's actually the amulet and they need to remove the amulet from him uh the man in white yeah the man in white mm. yeah and once you get the amulet off him he uh the spirit leaves and the guy just sort of like wakes up and he's like, what the hell kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's like a cool sort of seasonal short tale and you get to see Hellboy fan- fight Santa basically. Uh, I gather that this is a leading to a, a new run that they're doing. Like it's the, the prelude to that. I guess it would have been. Yeah. Um, I don't know an awful lot about Hellboy. I'm, I'm, it's quite a black area for me, actually. I'm not a, um, I can't say I've read tons of Hellboy comics, actually. So, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I've never read a Hellboy comic, but I, I mean, I don't know a lot about the Hellboy lore beyond what I've learned from the the Guillermo del Toro movies. But this comic has a man whose fighting spirit takes the form of a monkey. So I'm in. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it when, when the story comes full circle at the end, it's basically uh, you find out that it's them recounting the story at a Christmas party kind of thing. And then the third story in this one, in this winter spe- uh, winter special type thing, is The Last Witch of Fairfield. So I don't know about the real connection to winter with this story, but it takes place during winter. Uh, two children go missing in the woods, and you find out that they've actually been sort of led and coaxed away from safety by the spirit of a witch who inhabits dead animals to talk to them. And I think in the end, she wanted them she wanted to kill them or she wanted one to sacrifice the other is what we come is the conclusion that we come to it's quite a sad story actually and the way this ends the way this book ends actually ends on quite a downer so i mean this was published after christmas as well so when this actually came out it was january 2017 so i don't know if i'm reading it at the wrong time of year or if we get away with it because it's post christmas i don't know um and it's not because it's called it's called the winter special anyway so but i thought i really liked i i mean i this was my my like um the first favorite like in in order of like my favorites in this book is the first story then this one then the middle one because i think this one's more interesting than the middle one um and i like some of the artwork and some of the drawings like the 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 tree uh the tree 
deer thing like kind of a combination of a dead deer and a tree and that's where the spirit is at the moment and that's what hellboy goes for basically to kind of try and break the spell um and we find out that it was actually a witch that was executed that's inhabiting the tree and it's kind of got a um harrow county type thing going on for it in the way yeah, the story goes yeah um what did you i mean what are your guys opinions on this one well um I mean, the story itself is always... When it starts off and you've got Abe Sabian, I'm always happy because, yeah. um, like you guys, I haven't read that much, Hellboy, but I've, I've read the the first couple of trades that uh, Magnolia um, put out uh, back in the day. Uh, and I've always always been a fan of uh, Abe Sabian. And I'm, I'm never sure of what the... I mean, with this whole book, but I'll get into that later, I'm never sure of what the uh, continuity is. But in this, he's um, trying to piece together... Uh, missing time in his past and um yeah it, it's cool like i really like the uh the snowy wasteland um like it just makes you feel cold looking at it um and i think a lot of that is down to sebastian uh fumara's work which is um re- really really well like um you is like very nice detail in um the surroundings um and in the facial expressions of the characters, which I quite like. And yeah, overall, I mean, I, I like the tale. I like how uh, how dark it is um, and all the uh, elemental uh, inferences. But um, if, if I've got one like, negative, like it, it, it feels a bit abrupt, like it's, it's the pr- prologue to issue one type thing. Like it feels like it's going to lead out from here. So it never, it doesn't end, not in a satisfying way, but it feels like it just sort of, and there it goes. And it's like, uh, I want, I want more. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, overall, talking about the whole book, um, I like the way that they visit winter through these different time periods because of like Hellboy's like lack of age and type thing it's really interesting seeing these uh, different periods of time um uh depicted um and sort of the general thematic links between them but uh, yeah overall i'm a fan of that story and i quite like the book i like i like that the way that the, it, and with the previous hellboy special we talked about as well the way it just sort of like goes through different decades and things like that like one story takes place in the 80s one story takes place in the 1800s and it's i did it's the whole idea that this stuff's been going on in the background and underground for years and years and years and i should really read more hellboy um yeah yeah i'm surprised you haven't yeah you know what it's just one of those things where it's it's a real gray area because i've just not i just haven't you know it's like (laughs) i don't know why i haven't i don't know why i haven't i just haven't um, and looking at this and the, the you know the, the quality of the artwork and the way this story is put together as well, especially this final story, um, yeah, definitely should read more Hellboy. Um, I think yeah, the trades that I've read, sorry, the trades that I've read uh, have been like really good. Like I think you, I think you'd enjoy them. Mm. I, I think you're right, Ray, in saying that this book was to set up for a new um, a new arc or a new series. Yeah, I think yeah. like. Uh, following what Leon said, I think all three of the stories in this book end a bit too abruptly. Although if I had to order them, I'd say the first one was my favorite just because it felt like a complete story. Even if it was quite brief, it was just, you know, slice of life in this guy who's 
who goes around collecting these trinkets. Yeah. Um, I like the second one a lot because uh, the way it started, it start, it's, it gave me the thing that I wanted from like Christmassy books where it, it had had like on the nose christmas uh themes and it was just bouncy fun yeah and then i think i didn't like how that was resolved because it was just a man gives them the answer to their problem um and then the last one it because it's so ambiguous it didn't really explain it wasn't very clear what happened to the children and how you know what was going to happen to them next if they were going to be okay you know what the the final resolution of that spirit in the forest was but i think the artwork in this one is the best like i just loved seeing how like them walking through the snowy forest with the sun filtering through the trees mm. and everything like it was that was great there's some some really nice close-ups um uh, mm. facial expressions um and i i love the design of the uh the beast at the end basically like part tree yeah. part deer i like that i don't i just it's my kind of thing but um, and like hellboy smashing it to pieces yeah, and yeah. you can't tell if it's branches or bone like some of that's really cool yeah yeah no that that is really cool i like that um but i um yeah there's yeah there are some really great close-up panels of faces and things and the way he draws facial expression and different i, I yeah just this book this, this is like the best artistically i think of the of the of the stories um and um for me yeah it it goes order first then this story then the middle story um but yeah they do all end a bit abruptly but it's a very good book again um also before we move on there's yeah. the, my favorite part of this book is at the very end where there's just a, a drawing of hellboy in like this rocky landscape surrounded by penguins and it's it's gorgeous i don't know if you guys saw that yeah yeah the Antarctica. It's, it's supposed to be Antarctica, I think, isn't it? I'm not sure because it looks really stony. Uh, it doesn't necessarily look really cold, and there's like a dragon beast of sorts standing at the top, which mm. doesn't really imply coldness to me. But he's yeah, he's surrounded by penguins. It's uh, <laughs> it's interesting. It is an interesting one. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so one from there is one that I read. I don't know if you two checked in and looked at it at all, or uh, but it's Claws and the Crisis in Christmasville. I think it's supposed to be Claus. Judging from the story, I think it's supposed to be Claus, although it might be Klaus. But I'm assuming Claus because of the way the story goes. Now, this one is... It's a one-shot, and it's Grant Morrison. I assume it's a one-shot anyway because the, the story ends at the end of the book. But we've got a family in the 80s travelling to visit relatives around uh, in August, in the summer. And they get lost on the journey, and they end up in a place that's not on the map where it's snowing and it's like snow in august kind of thing you know and uh the place is called xmas town (laughs) a place where it's always christmas and everyone there every man is dressed as santa (laughs) right and they stop for petrol and they're filling while he's filling up the tank uh, is like this is really creepy. Why is everyone dressed as Santa? And he has to use the phone. Um, and you just, as you sort of going through the first few panels, you just sort of see creeping in all these signs for a company called Polar Cola, right? Um, and he gets inside, and you can see him on CCTV. All of a sudden, the lights go out while he's on the phone. He's like, as trying to ask for directions. He's like, he's going to his mum's house. He's like, mum, you know, 
we're in, with Santa's everywhere we're in this place called Xmasville. Um, I've got to go. And then like all the Santa's round in on him, kind of like take him away <laughs> and dress him as Santa. <laughs> he becomes one of the Santa's. <laughs> And he's like telling his family to run, so they all try and get away. But then the Santa's closing on the car, um, and it turns out it's all part of some weird plot where the the um, the man who founded Polar Cola has been fighting some secret war for years. Um, for christmas he wants christmas it's like i think it's something that's been happening for generations through his family as well like he he's fighting some secret war over christmas like the rights to christmas or something like that and um in order like to get the technology to fight back against the actual forces of christmas which are people like claws and um some of his friends that help him out in this like grandfather frost which is like the russian santa claus and stuff like that hmm. um he he's been doing deals with an alien race to get um to get weapons and what they do is they he has a a, a kind of dark reflection of claws who i guess in this i guess represents krampus i don't know but he's like some big evil werewolf version of claws that sort of like a dark reflection from the other the the beneath like the, there's like two worlds here like one's a shadow of the other type thing and he um he's been kidnapping children for polar cola and polar cola have been giving the children to the aliens because the aliens like to smoke their imaginations they put the kids in these like giant bong things (laughs) (laughs) and smoke their imaginations right and it's mental in exchange for that they get uh alien technology and then with the alien technology they go to war with claws and his you know the forces of christmas kind of thing um, and Claus has got like this really cool uh, sleigh that's pulled by magic wolves, and they, the wolves have the names of the the reindeers, but like you know, like Donna, Vixen, Prancer, um, but they're they're, they're wolves instead, um, like white magical wolves. And I just I just think it's great. Some of the artwork in it's fantastic as well. And like the um, there's a guy who's supposed to be taking. He's like. The, the the actual the guy in charge is very old and very ill and there's uh someone taking over from him who's like typical 80s businessman huge shoulder pads massive mobile phone um but he looks a bit elfy the way they've drawn him you know like a christmas elf with like the um like rosy cheeks and freckles and like the pointy <laughs> ears and stuff and ginger hair it's just it's it's absolutely madcap and it's insane and it's one issue long and it's brilliant the writer is grant morrison Art duties is Dan Mora. You've got a variant cover that's been done by Frank Quietly. Um, another variant cover by John Cassidy. Um, colours by Laura Martin. It was lettered by Ed Dukesha, and uh, it's yeah. I just I just think it's fantastic. I loved this start to finish. It's published on Boom. This is Boom Studios. The artwork itself is. It looks like pencils you know like really kind of um the way the colors are done and everything it's really got like a really warm kind of uh texture to it and it's like pencils and paint and it's beautiful or maybe even chalk actually i don't know it's just got that texture about it that is really kind of uh grainy and warm kind of like the feeling you get when you listen to a vinyl record <laughs> like, that's like me going all synthesizer on you now but yeah uh, <laughs> 
this is this is what I get from it, and I love it, and I love the character designs. I love like uh, again for me, like a big thing in comics. I'll always talk about it because I always mention it when I talk about art. is facial expression. Yeah, like I like exaggerated facial expressions, and I like it when it's like really clear what these characters are feeling, and when when they can get that across, and you can imagine these expressions on people's faces and perceive it actually happening. Like because in some books, you'll get it where it falls flat where someone's supposed to be angry and it doesn't come across quite right in the way the face is drawn or it doesn't look like you imagine an angry person would look but then sometimes they get it really really right and you see sort of like facial expressions and lines in faces in the way faces move and things like that when people pull faces and that for me is like a big thing about of getting across a story you know like the way the way people draw expression and the way people get that across to you through the panels it's great so yeah this this one's a good one that i think you two should probably check out it's not very long it's only one book so while you were talking i mm-hmm. actually just purchased it through comiXology and i skimmed through it and it looks fucking amazing <laughs> um, i also discovered that there is a an entire book called klaus or oh. claus uh, which i just found on amazon Okay. And it's been described as Santa Claus Year One. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, so I'm sold. I'm going to pick this up. Um, but yeah, I think there was a 2015 run of seven issues that uh, that already exists. Here. I might have to buy that then, because this is something else. It's absolutely brilliant, um, and I am on board from page one. So I think you guys should check it out too. But definitely, yeah, Santa Claus Year One <laughs> sounds fantastic. I guess uh, that brings us to towards the end of the list now, because we've only got one book left to discuss, which is the one that we all read, which was our big favourite of the bunch. This is the one that we were kind of like wanting to finish on because it's a really high note and it's great. And this is the Batman Adventures Holiday Special. So the Batman Adventures comics are based on the um, the Batman animated series, the sort of early to mid-90s Batman animated series that was going, that was the Paul Dini, Bruce Tim TV series, the Paul Dini, Bruce Tim cartoon. Um, and I just thought everything, I thought this was inspired, like, from start to finish, like, every single story in this book was fantastic and left me with a smile on my face and made me feel Christmas. It did. Um, the first story is the uh, Clayface Batgirl one, which, the high point of which was seeing Detective Harvey Bullock as a really awful mall Santa. <laughs> and I just, uh, yeah, I just think it hits all the right notes. With It just, you know how some Christmas stories will feel like they have been written um, and they've just said it's Christmas just to make it a Christmas story, where it doesn't actually feel like a Christmas tale. I don't know if you guys have ever... You guys know what I mean when I say that. Yeah, I get get what you mean. Yeah, this actually feels like it was written with Christmas in mind. And actually, rather than one being shoehorned into the other or one being painted to look like Christmas, it's it's actually like one thing where uh, the subject matter and the, uh, the seasonality sort of mesh perfectly. Hmm. Um... And it's got the right balance of everything that makes Batman great. The campiness, the fun, the darkness, you know, like noir, madcap, violence and everything else where it's, you know, it's dark, but it's funny because it's got a clown face on it kind of thing. You know, it's like, um, I mean, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, what what do you think of the, uh, the, the, the Clayface story? 
what were your favorite moments in that one I mean, overall, I really like this book because this is exactly what I wanted from a Christmassy themed thing. Like you said, the Christmassiness seeps into every single page. Yeah. Um, but his first story, uh, it's just it's a really cool introduction to what we're going to get from this book. Like these fun little adventures, which give a slice of life of our heroes in this you know time of holiday cheer. And I like that Barbara's sort of just hanging around doing her shopping when she you know she stumbles upon this um, this emergency that happens. And I, I, what, if I had to pick one thing from this book that I loved was the sequence of her running to the changing room and changing into her Batgirl outfit because this this embodies like how how well it balances the the fun, campy, and dark stuff because it's it's her struggling to get into her outfit, but she also like steps on a needle, which kind of foreshadows the fact that she'll you know she loses the use of her legs and has no feeling in her feet, at, you know, and the fact that yeah i don't know it's just it, it calls on all of these things that i know about this character from the beginning and just makes me feel really happy and sad for her at the same time and it's just it's it's wonderful the way it's it's put together yeah and it's it's really um it's really animated as well like i like how how simple some of the the designs are and because it really harkens back to the the animated series which we know and love but like little things where we get three panels of Clayface like sucking in air and then spitting out goop onto uh, the cops guns like just the way those three panels transition is it's beautiful I, I, I love this the way Clayface is is doing his little operation where he's like splitting mm. himself down and turning himself into into like a, an army of kids <laughs> and things like that and and just just the really really badly put together gcpd sting operation with bullock and um why uh, montoya I, montoya yeah why can't i why am i oh my god i'm kicking myself for not knowing that but yeah <laughs> bullock and montoya um as an elf and santa and bullock is like this really slobbish santa surrounded by like empty beer cans and he's got like food all over him and stuff and he's like uh and there's this really touching moment where the, one of the kids that comes to see him is like the daughter of someone that he arrested (laughs) (laughs) and he's like okay here's 50 dollars kind of thing because he feels awful so you know as as hard and horrible as he is he does have a heart i guess um and yeah i just the artwork in it is is fantastic and i just love like i said i just love the way it's put together and, and the seasonality of it and the the campiness and everything else and the way that um i mean We've we've actually skipped over because this book has like a really nice intro as well because it's got it's like bookended mm-hmm. by like a short intro and a short outro type thing, um, and in between you've got these like these other stories. So the next story moving on from the Clayface one is one. Well, that... before you move oh. on from that, yeah. none of you noticed on page ten there's a sploge page instead of a splash page. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> was one of the more uh special uses of uh onomatopoeia sounds as a uh, batgirl uh drop kicks uh, clay face in the neck i just thought like <laughs> man like kid me would not have got that yeah <laughs> <laughs> no yeah there's some um there's some really great moments and it's um the the, the next story is the one with uh it's um harley and ivy isn't it the Harley and the Ivy. Actually, yeah. sorry, <laughs> to, do, to do the same thing, just to go back to the jolly old St. Nicholas story. Um, I learned a new piece of terminology from this. Um, he called uh, the the cop, uh, Bullock, 
calls Clayface Frosty the Lawn Cigar. Yeah. And I was curious what that meant, <laughs> and I Googled it, and apparently it just means, like, excrement on the ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's talking, he's talking about dog poop or something. I, I got that when he said it, when I read it. It's like Frosty the Lawn Cigar. <laughs> I had an inkling, but I like I just had to look it up. <laughs> That's a great term. Yeah. No. Anyway, <laughs> it's it's like it's it's all this stuff. I mean, I think obviously I think they can go a bit harder in the comics than they can in, than they could in the cartoon back then. Hmm. Um, but like this is this is what made this TV show so great as well is the fact that they they dared to do stuff like this in a kids show, like jokes like that, you know, hmm. and things that are maybe a little bit would probably have been frowned upon. I guess by parents and things, but I don't know. It's it's it, it's great. I love it. Uh, the next one, the Harley and the Ivy, is um, this is the one where Ivy and Harley are lying low in a like, little horrible bedsit thing somewhere, and you know they're like, "Oh, why have we got to stay here?" And like, "Oh, because the heat's on still." You know, we can't we can't go out doing anything ridiculous. And and Harley's crying because she wants a Christmas tree. And Ivy's like, but why do you even want a Christmas tree? Don't even celebrate Christmas, you're Jewish kind of thing, you know. Supporting uh, uh, botanical genocide. Yeah, and don't want a Christmas... Yeah, A, it supports botanical genocide, and B, you're Jewish. Why do you want a Christmas tree? Um, and uh, they, they hatch a plan in the end, basically, because they're bored to have some fun. So what they do is they turn up at one of Bruce Wayne's parties, and uh, they've got Ivy's special mind-control lipstick stuff. Um, and they use it on Bruce Wayne and they take him on a shopping trip and they're like using his like credit cards to buy stuff. Um, and it's just like a montage of them just like rinsing his bank account basically on clothes and shoes and jewelry and everything. Um, and what I really like about this is they carry the joke on cause there's a point like halfway through the montage where or towards the end of the montage where Ivy's like, uh, Harley's looking at a Christmas tree and Ivy's like, it's still no. Kind of like drags her away. Uh, in the end, obviously, Bruce Wayne kind of fights back and fights fights the uh, the toxin, gets wise to what's happening and uh, the two girls end up in the slammer. But yeah, it's, uh, that's a great, it's a great little story. It's, that one's really fun. Like, really, really fun. I really like that one. Sorry, I was going to say, I think they're a, f- a fun pair to put together. And you can see why that sort of become a, a lasting thing. Um, but I think definitely the sort of Tim Deeney era really established um, these two as, as a fun pair because what a lot of this whole special does, it reminds you that Batman can be fun uh, and not be campy at the same time. Yeah, it, it doesn't always have to be like brooding and dark, but you, you're not sacrificing seriousness by having a bit of fun with it. And uh, the 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 show and these comics were always uh, really good for that. Yeah, it can. It, it basically shows you that Batman can be fun without being 1960s Batman. And like it whiplashes really well because there's a bit where. Harley thinks that um, that Bruce has died. Yeah, and she's shocked. She's like, she's terrified and shocked by it. And then she remembers that they were going to kill him anyway. And it yeah. just whips from one emotion to the other. I mean, to to, to step back a, a, a little bit, like I like how you were talking about facial expressions. Yeah, um, earlier yeah. on, like yeah. the facial expressions in this book are amazing. Like just the excitement on like Harley and Ivy's face when they get the credit cards and they're doing this like impromptu fashion show for themselves and like, little details like how Harley keeps her Jester's hat on the entire time 
when trying on all these different outfits, even when she's trying on hats. Like there's, yeah. there's just so much detail packed into to all of these panels. And that moment you said when she's like excited about a Christmas tree and Ivy drags her away with a with a loud no. Like I can I can sympathize as somebody who isn't Christian and didn't grow up in you know. I grew up in an Indian household, but like loving Christmas trees because they're bright and colorful and whatever. Yeah. I, I totally get it. I get the fascination. No, yeah, 100%. And like one of the best, one of the best parts of this story as well is at the end because they get sort of like foiled by a Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. Quick <laughs> yeah. into the toy store. That's yeah. their solution yeah. to, to escape. <laughs> And they pull, and then the, the, then at the end, it's like Ivy's like, "You're happy. You got your damn tree," because <laughs> they're kind of like trapped under it. And then Batman's doing his best, like Rob Liefeld, Captain America pose. Yeah, yeah. In the bottom <laughs> corner. <laughs> but like the the great thing about the art throughout this book as well is it's um uh, it's all taken from the Bruce Tim style, so everything is styled after the cartoon that we know and love, and everything is styled after um the Bruce Tim styles of the characters which is why the artwork is so great and why the facial expressions are so great and why everything is so bouncy and and you know. and the fact that there's there's so many short stories in this one book but unlike the previous ones we've talked about where we feel they resolve too abruptly these end quite quickly but they they feel satisfying because they're a bit more like jovial with the whole thing because you like you said they're bouncy and it doesn't matter that the resolution of this story is that a tree falls on them because the entire thing is jokey yeah. enough to be able to get away yeah. with that. Nice. And even the previous one where Clayface gets taken down quite quickly, um, but then it ends on like a da 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 moment, you know? Yeah, okay. yeah. I think it's because they're complete stories because it's a caper and the the the, the plan is foiled um, mm. and then and then it's it's done. It, we don't need to. There's no like need for like. Uh, why did he do this? Why why were they up to this? Because it's like, oh, they've escaped Arkham again, type yeah. thing. <laughs> it's got that sort of built-in um, shorthand that we have with all these characters that do you, know, you don't necessarily yeah. get with the Hellboy book. Do you know why I guess it works like that as well? Um, it, it's Paul Dini, and he's really good at striking the balance where Batman's concerned, as we've already mentioned, the right balance of fun and darkness. It's like, uh, but the... Um, what I think really works is because it's got kind of like the looney tunes formula going on so you know like um roadrunner and uh wily e. coyote yeah yeah it's like it's like you already know you don't know you, you know you don't need to know why wily e. coyote is after roadrunner you just already know it's happening kind of thing it's got it's got like that kind of looney tunes kind of formula going on where these these bad guys um obviously this is like deep seated and underneath all the other layers that we've already mentioned you know but this is like part of what makes it a bit zany as well is the fact that these that they are like actual characters that are crazy and and bombastic enough and everything else that when they're when they're done in this in this style because they work these characters work two ways that's what's so special about them you can you can work them as really dark really serious really um how do i put it noir kind of mm villains or you can work them as madcap crazy zany campy villains and the way it works in this book is it strikes the balance between the two and it has like the looney tunes formula where they they escape so they get caught at the end they escape they get caught at the end kind of thing and it's like always starts and ends in the same way um and you already kind of have an idea of what might be done or said by these characters and things like that which i think is great i don't know if you agree with me on that yeah Yeah, absolutely and um and uh 
the next story, which I'm glad they put this in the middle because it was feels a rama. Uh, and I needed, I needed something happy after it, but it was it was still you know quite a nice Christmas story, and this one actually kind of made me well up a little bit um, because it's Mister Freeze, you know, always with the feels, so tragic. Uh, he um, he is, he he he's sad because he keeps asking, you know, he's been in Arkham and he's like, is it going to snow this year at Christmas? And they keep telling him no, and he gets really sad because there's not going to be any snow, and then he's just sort of well. Sad, more sadder than usual, basically, and he decides to escape Arkham. Um, all of a sudden, this huge snowstorm hits uh, Gotham, and uh, Batman's been called in. You know, he's gone to Arkham because he he's been called into Arkham because Freeze has escaped, and um, he kind of recounts what happened to Freeze and why Freeze is Freeze in the first place, sort of like the tragic origin of Mr. Freeze, that he lost his wife in a lab accident that was started by people that tried to shut down his experiments because he'd worked out a way to save the terminally ill, um, etc., etc. Um, and thus he now cannot live outside sub-zero temperatures and is really, you know, cold to all kind of human emotion because of everything that happened to him, basically. And uh, we've got Batman trying to find the the source of this storm, basically this this snowstorm that's causing trouble all across Gotham. You've got this cool bit actually, because I mean we we'd actually had a lot of snow recently in the UK and in Leicester. We've had snow and ice. And when I've been out and about, I've seen people driving and things, and I've seen cars slip and things like that. And it just brought it home to me when I read it in this book as well, when the guy slams the brakes on and nearly hits the family, and Batman saves them. Mm. And uh, he's like, the Batman just sort of like looks at him and narrows his eyes like, buy some chains kind of thing, you know, <laughs> sort your tires out, man. Batman finds the source of the snow. And this is this is the bit. This is the tearjerker. This is the bit, because when he finds the source of it, it's Mr. Freeze making snow. And he's like, but why are you doing this? And he's like, it's not to cause trouble. It's because it's because my wife liked it when it snowed at christmas and and it was snowing when we got married on christmas eve and i just want it i thought she would be sad if it didn't snow and then batman just kind of like lets him off and just puts a hand on his shoulder and because batman understands loss as well because in the graveyard the thing that reminds him is he sees the christmas wreath at his own <laughs> parents grave and it's just oh my gosh oh dear yeah I read this very differently to you. Yeah. I read this as like overall melodrama. Like I love that there's these moments like he slams into his, it has to be his parents gravestone, doesn't it? And then like the panel at the bottom, is just him like wrapping his cape around himself, looking all like grim and fully resolved again. And yeah. like my favorite panel in this entire story is when the little girl who he's just saved, um, he's, he's handing one of the presents that's fallen out of their car back to her. Yeah. And he's like, are you an angel? And then the next one is just him, like with either the moon or a spotlight behind him. Yeah. With, again, his cape like flurrying behind him. And it's like, he obviously used his hand to grab his cape and wrap it around him as a reaction to what she just asked. Yeah. Like, are you an angel? <laughs> like like yeah. a vampire. Like, yeah. That's what Batman does. I'm not little an girl angel. If you're yeah. an angel. <laughs> No, um, yeah. strange man. <laughs> I, I, this one was great as well. This, this one was brilliant, and this is this was the tearjerker, as I said. I mean, Leon, what do you reckon to this one? Because I know you like Mister Freeze. Yeah, no, I, f- I thought it was really good, um, and um, I think that 
it's one that manages to still keep the tone of like the whole book without ending up too sort of self-serious. And like Rahul says, it's just melodramatic in a really sort of um, impressionistic way. Yeah. Which is quite cool. But one thing I thought was quite interesting about this, because um, this whole um, issue, this holiday special was adapted um, for the, um, it was in the New Adventures of Batman um, cartoon, which is um, the cartoon that followed Batman, um, the animated series. Um, and I think it's the first episode of, of those. So, like, it's mm. odd because in that cartoon, the style is of is of the newer style, which is a bit more of an evolution of uh, the sort of Tim style. But um, it's because I've seen that cartoon, but and um, long before I'd read this book. Uh, and it's interesting rereading this book and seeing like how different it is because the book is writ is drawn in the Batman TS style. Um, so, so I think that's quite cool, but it's interesting because this is the one story that's not in the cartoon. And I wondered, oh, is it because it was like, they thought it was too sad or whatever, or they cut it for time. But apparently like reading into it, uh, Bruce Tim did want to adapt it for the episode, but had to drop the idea because in the Batman and Mr. Free Sub-Zero movie, which came out in the TS time, uh, Nora Freeze is uh, revived. So she's not dead anymore. Yeah. Um, so and yes, doesn't, the story doesn't really work. <laughs> screws with the continuity too much. Yeah, yeah. No, but I yeah, mean, I quite like I quite liked the um, this um, story. Yeah. Did I say this was 1992 earlier in the conversation? Because it's not. It's 1995. I think I screwed that up. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I did, then yeah, I did. But I, I'm, I, I've got this feeling. I said it was 1992. It's not. It's 95. I instant corrections. Yes. Yes. You're the authority, um, Greg. You could say anything and the rest of us would believe you. <laughs> yeah, but you shouldn't. That's the problem. <laughs> that's your. That's on you, mate. Um, so the next one in the book is uh, the sort of the closeout and it's the New Year story. Um, and uh, this is before, because I mentioned you've got the start, the beginning and end, like the book ends. So kind of like this, this book kind of spans the entire holiday season, really. Um, and... This is like the uh, the last story is the New Year one, and of course it features the Joker. And the Joker has decided he's going to make a New Year's resolution. As of midnight on New Year's Day, um, he's no longer going to kill anyone. But that doesn't mean he can't kill people on New Year's Eve. So <laughs> what he's decided to do is try and kill as many people as he can before the clock strikes midnight. Um, and he's got this weird madcap plan involving a sonic weapon and a bell... And uh, Gotham's version of Times Square, uh, where everyone's having a New Year's party. And uh, it's a race against time for Batman to find him and stop him, basically. And this one's really good. I mean, this one has, like, the perfect balance with Batman and the Joker. The way, way, you know, like, the way, way, where the, uh, the classic Batman-Joker fights are concerned. Where they're... Um, I mean, obviously they can't really do it in this because of the style of the book and who the book is aimed at and what it's styled after. But you can, I mean, there's the final fight between Batman and Joker in this book. I can imagine that being way more bloody in another Batman book somewhere. Hmm. Like knives coming out and people's heads getting smashed against brick walls and things like that. And it's just, I think 
this one was I thought this was inspired actually as as a as a holiday story as far as using the Joker goes because I think New Year is sort of like perfect for it. And I really I really like the way this one went. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, it's a good um sort of classic Joker-esque plan, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um him broadcasting on TV to calling out Batman. <laughs> it, it it does it it does pull you straight back into that TAS era of just like Mark Hamill's Joker just signature laughing his way through like crazy plans. Yeah. No, I, I, I like this one. This one was great. Uh, and the the plan was perfect. It's perfectly Joker. Everything was just madcap enough. Everything was just uh, just enough slapstick. Just enough of a slapstick edge of everything to stop it from being really horrible. Well, yeah, I like that the, the whole premise is that Joker's promising to be good for a year, but that means he has to get out of his system before the year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <It's> yeah. <laughs> and like this this, this cartoony, like I use the word contrived, but I mean it with more affection than this. But like the contrived sonic tech that they use to put into the thing, which can, you know, like um, wipe out the entire city block in one go. And the fact that it resolves with the bell like crashing down onto the Joker, who... Like, he's not actually dead in there. You know, it's not, like, maimed him or anything. He's just, he's got that cartoony ending where he's been flattened by this thing. Um, and, like, you were talking about the uh, the slapsticky violence in this. Yeah. Like, I love this where the countdown happens. And, like, it flips between them, like, really pounding at each other. And then the Joker looking kind of calm and happy and serene as he grabs a bottle of champagne. And then Bat smacks him. And then the cork goes into his face. And then he uses the bottle of champagne to to what is it um short out the sonic tech and like just this there's a real deafness to the 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 layering of this action how everything feeds into the next thing into the next thing and it's yeah it's awesome and it's like the the brutality itself is kind of like played down because the fight itself is really brutal but because it's grim (laughs) because it's so slapsticky and so looney toony i guess that's that's like the magic this is what i meant by the Mm. fact that it's got like this kind of like looney tunes line running through it it's you know it's great especially where these and two bat- are yeah and bats bats's artwork in this one is the most like chisel chin grimacing version in the entire book i think yeah like- yeah definitely um and actually looks really stoic and stern yeah. unlike with the holly and ivy one where he looks really happy and self-satisfied mm. yeah and after this you've got like the um the sort of the close out which follows on directly from it. And um, you almost don't notice that you're going into another story when you read it because of the way the title's mm. done and then the title goes into the dialogue in the book. It's people singing Old Lang Syne in a bar. Um, and it's uh, it's basically the closeout. It, you know, it's New Year, it's struck one. Um, and you've got Batman heading down to this little bar after closing time. Every year they do the same thing. Batman and Commissioner Gordon have like this New Year's tradition now where they meet up and have coffee. Um, and I just think it's really great the way they, you know, those two talking like, you know, we'll, we hope we can work together for years to come kind of thing, you know. And I just think it's a nice way to close out the book, really. And I can imagine yeah. it's something that those two would do. Mm. No, it's cool. And it's like three pages, but it's really effective. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's only three pages long, but it's beautiful. But yeah, it's, it has this dark edge of like not just like, hey, uh, another year down fighting crime. It's all like 
uh, it's uh, here's to another year of survival type thing. Mm, yeah, it, it has really sort of fatalistic tone where it's like there's a line where um, uh, Gordon's like it was a close one, and Batman is <laughs> just like, they're all close ones, and it, and it has this sort of uh, I know this not melancholy, but this sort of uh, yeah, these type these times are hard, and like this is a war, and uh, We've done it again. Uh, see, hopefully, see you next year. Yeah, like, no, like, that, like hopefully. Yeah. yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I really, I really enjoy, really enjoyed this book, and I really enjoyed the way that closed out. And I just think it's it's brilliant. I mean, the, credits wise, it's all written by Paul Dini, which I think really shows because Paul Dini writes the best TAS stories as well. When we when we uh, talk about the Batman animated series, all of, I think it's all of the best episodes of Paul Dini. Um, yeah definitely and you've got art by various different people um throughout the book but it's all sort of taken from bruce tim style and uh bruce tim actually helped write the uh, jolly old st nicholas story as well actually you know bruce tim drew the jolly old st nicholas tale as well you've got ronnie del carmen working on there you've got glenn murakami kevin altieri butch lukic richard starkings is like did pretty much all the lettering and reaper on the intro yeah it's, it's a really really good team of people put together i think to put this book together and i think it works really well and you can tell that they worked you can tell that they were working closely and that they were like really in sync when they put this together when they wrote these stories and put them together because mm. they just knew everything flows together and mixes so well well yeah it's it's funny with this because i used to collect this book i never i never had this issue in its run but i, ha- I have read it um in the past but um yeah i used to collect collect that book um and it was great because it was my uh extension of tas yeah um at the time because uh, as a kid and over here we you didn't know when the show had really ended because you just got reruns constantly and you, you never got it so like what this comic rereading this now has just reminded me of is uh it just pulled me back to remembering that this was the era the the ts tim dini era that cemented my love for uh the dark knight and his rogues gallery yeah um and like a lot of it is just so much um like tone setting and like setting the bar for what i mm. enjoy with these characters um so it, it i know it's a nice nostalgic it's nostalgic feeling um reading this book and yeah. sort of being transported to being a kid and like using my pocket money to buy issues and mm. like waking up early to watch whichever silly kids program it was so I could see uh, TS. It was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it brings you back and uh, I, I do, I'm looking forward to uh, revisiting the whole Timverse at some point. Yeah, this is, this is me too. I think I, I echo those sentiments entirely. I had, I've got a few of the comics um, I don't own many, but I've got a couple um, of these old kind of Batman adventure stories. So, yeah, no, the, these were really cool stories. And yeah. Um, and I guess that rounds up our list of festive books. So that's the uh, that's the, the list of uh, comics that we read. Uh, these are our sort of like Christmassy picks. So, I mean, if you're looking for something festive to read over the period, then uh, this is where you go to, I guess. Or well, this is what we recommend you go to. Obviously, there's a plethora of other books 
that may be better suited to your tastes. But these are our favourites and these are what we think you will like. On from there, we've got kind of a list of things we're looking forward to over Christmas and into the new year, comics-wise. So, uh, Ray, we start with what you've got for December 20th. Okay, yeah, so for December 20th, I've got The Beautiful Death, number four, which we've talked about, uh, Ms. Marvel, 25, John Wick, number two, which I'm really excited to see where that goes, and Maxwell's Demons, number two. Um, then on to Jan- uh, well, December 27th, sorry, which is uh, the things that, these are things that I've picked off from December 27th's list. We've got Doomsday Clock, number two, uh, Diablo House, three and four, um, and then on to January 3rd, where I've got Batman White Knight number four, um, a new Batman series, Batman and the Signal, which is Batman and his kind of latest ward um, in a long line of them. A young man called the Signal, who uh, his origins are in the New 52, where in the Endgame storyline, his parents are Jokerized and Batman takes him under his wing. Um... On top of that as well, you've got the next Isagi Yojimbo book, Isagi Yojimbo 165. Uh, Ray, anything for you for Jan 3rd? Yeah, so for the new year, there's going to be Crosswind number 6, uh, Mech Cadet U number 5, uh, Minky Woodcock number 2, Secret Weapons number 0. Um, so we, we read a bunch of the Secret Weapons books uh, earlier in the year, and they're doing a prequel one-shot, it looks like. Um, and then finally, number 1 with a bullet number 3, which was one of Leon's picks for the last couple of months. And yes, so um, to close this one out, there aren't any questions, but, but I do have a quiz. This is uh, Greg's regrettable Christmas quiz. Oh God. And uh, (laughs) I will be pitting you two against each other. So from the inside of a Christmas cracker splattered with cranberry sauce and a dash of gravy as you sit there uncomfortably full (laughs) it's quiz time so um what i have here is a list of regrettable superheroes some are real published badly conceived failed characters others are complete fabrications by me i'm going to read out the name (laughs) of a character and you've got to tell me whether you think it's real or fabricated okay so let's do this um it will be the first to five correct answers for the winner and there's a tiebreaker as well if you uh if you can't do it what do we get when we win um you get Good the... question <laughs> yeah you get because sel- I, don't, I don't i don't play for for no reason like come on <laughs> give you, me some incentive you get the self-satisfaction oh that's terrible i could get that anywhere <laughs> <laughs> i'll play along right. okay right then so right um this is um so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna ask you in order so we'll go ray and then leon so Ray first, I'm going to read out a, a name. You have to tell me whether it's a real one or a false one from the uh, from the list of regrettable heroes. So the first <laughs> one, the bouncer. The bouncer. I mean, I, I mean, there's there's been a video game called that, so I wouldn't be too surprised if there was a if there's a comic book hero. I wonder if it's anything to do with that. Um, I'm going to say true, true. You are indeed correct, and it has absolutely nothing to do with that video game. It is literally <laughs> yeah. a person that bounces. Uh, oh, it literally bounces, yeah, not yeah. a bounce yeah, to a no. nightclub. No, he literally bounces. Um, ah, wonderful. Leon. Ready? Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Dr. Hormone. <laughs> Man, that sounds real, but uh, I'm going to go false. That sounds 
Greg. You no, made that. No, Doctor Hormone's a real one. Uh, what, where's Doctor Hormone from? Uh, his own comic, Doctor Hormone. I think. Um, I've got the regrettable superheroes book in front of me here, but it's um, he's. I think he he's like a scientist, and he can he makes like concoctions of hormones that can give people like super strength and things like that. I think is the idea. It's been a while since I read his bio in there, but yeah. No relation of Maximum the Hormone. No, no, nothing to do with that at all. <laughs> Rahul. Yo. Olfactory man. <laughs> Olfactory as in like the, the the sense of smell. Yeah. Uh, I mean we've got we've got characters like Chu who can like read thoughts or like read history from eating. So I I'm gonna go true. Olfactory man's false. Ah, oh, did you come up with that? Yes, <laughs> I think you should. I think you should develop that, Greg. Leon. Yes. Flagstar. This is why I hate comics, man. I'm quitting this podcast because it, it could be so real. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna go to Flagstar. Yeah. I'm gonna go true. Flagstar's false. <sighs> it's the one that I made up. Um, so, Ray, one for you, NFL Super Pro. <laughs> Am I allowed to ask questions? Is this, uh, like, is this recent or old? Um, I can't tell you. <laughs> Say it one more time. NFL Super Pro. That's false. That's a real one. <laughs> what? <laughs> What's it about? Do you have any idea? <laughs> um, it's about a... It's a Marvel comic. It's like, the the cover oh. that I've seen has Spider Man in it, and it's it's oh, literally wow. okay. literally like a an NFL player that's a superhero. Like, as an do you know if it's a sports story or is it just like the guy's taken that he used to be an NFL hero? I think he uses his. I think I think I think. I mean, I don't know too much about it, but I think he uses his <laughs> NFL skills to fight crime. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. I'm writing that down. <laughs> right. Um. Leon. Okay. US number one. True. That is a real one. So you're one all now. You're one a peg. Where, now, US, where is US number one from? It rings a bell. US number one's a real comic. It's about a trucker. Okay. I've I, 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 I not come into contact with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, my uh, gut feeling there. Yeah. Rahul. Fat man, the human flying saucer. False. That one's real. <laughs> <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> I'm, I'm writing. All, you have to give me this list afterwards. <laughs> I'll give you access to the list afterwards. Yeah. So, um, Leon, languid okay. lad. Languid lad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got the alliteration. Yeah. But Greg could be trying to trick. Yeah, this is the thing. I I wasn't thinking whether Greg would come up with something. I'm thinking, could it be real or not? Do you think Greg could come up with that language led? I think he could. But um, Mm. is it regrettable? I'm going to go, yes, true. It's false. (sighs) So we're one apiece now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the tiebreaker. Okay, because... um, we could carry on doing this forever. I've got a huge list. So what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the tiebreaker. So the person that gets this one right 
Um, so is it whoever shouts first? Yes. Yeah. Person who gets this <laughs> okay. one right mm. first wins. So okay. have a think about it and then give me your answer. So Adam X, the extreme. True. Oh, Leon. True. Yeah, it is real. It's real. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was at one of those um, awful 90s X-Men things. Mm, Adam I, X definitely sounds like something that could come from a yeah, comic book. But it it's, sounds it's, 90s X-Men yeah, as well. It's, it's extreme with an X as well. Yeah, Adam X is the extreme. And the whole the whole thing with him having these like hooked blades and being ultraviolet and an alien, <laughs> right? He's an alien, okay, but he still knows that he has to wear his baseball cap backwards. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what he looks like, but I, uh, in my head, I know what he looks like. He's got blonde. How... Yeah. He's got long blonde hair, a braid, and a backwards baseball cap. Yeah. When yeah. he said hooked blades, I was not surprised. <laughs> so yeah, that was the uh, regrettable Christmas quiz, and Leon Leon takes that one. Yeah, I you get, get all the nothing content. anyway. I get all the content in the world. So I'll o- I'll open up the list to you two, so you can check that out. These lists of Sweet. real and fake ones that I made. Um, but yeah, it, this all comes from a book that I've got called um, The League of Regrettable Superheroes, which is by a guy called John Morris, where he's collected all these kind of obscure or really bad ideas from across the years and kind of like written a little funny book about it kind of thing. So, yeah. So I guess that has been the Ace Comicals Christmas special. So I hope you're feeling all the more festive for having listened to us. Um you can find us in a plethora of places. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Twitter under Ace Comicals. You can find us on WordPress at acecomicals.wordpress.com. You can find us on all manner of podcasting apps and places. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us where, Ray? Because you know this more than me. <laughs> uh, iTunes, Overcast, Pocketcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Castro. Yep, all the names of the reindeer right there. The only the only place you can't find us is Google Play right now, and that's because they don't let British people do that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. Um, you can field questions to the Ace Comicals Twitter account if you want to ask us a question. Uh, you can send us questions directly to our email address, acecomicals at gmail.com. You can uh, field questions to Facebook message if you want. You can message the page and we'll answer it. Send us questions. We love questions. Ray, where can we find you? On Twitter at Monke, so that's at M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And be sure to send us what you've been reading over Christmas as well. I'd be curious to see yeah, what we, people have been reading. If you get comics for Christmas, we want to see what you get. and want to mm. know what kind of things you're reading and want to know what your how, how your Christmas is going. Yeah. Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter uh, at Leon Everett and... Um, whether you celebrate Christmas or uh, any other seasonal holiday or you don't, um, whether you're going to be a family or friends or alone, just uh, try to look after yourself and have a, have a, have a good time. Yeah. Uh, even if you're working it, like uh, I've been in retail before and, it, and it's horrible, but uh, find yourself a good book, a good comic, uh, and uh, I don't know, like sh- shut out the world when you can and have some fun. Um, and if you are around other people, uh, have fun with them, and also uh, pimp the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I guess that's I guess that's where we're coming from. That it is, you know, it, this it's it's the Christmas season, but obviously there's a lot of other holidays and a lot of other things that happen at this time of year. So whatever you happen to be celebrating, whatever you happen to be doing, um, to echo Leon's sentiments, you know, make sure you find some alone time, read a book, uh, tell us about it if you like it, and. Um, 
yeah uh so that's ace comicals over and out merry christmas guys